So good morning, and let me welcome you to our Palm Sunday worship service. For those of you who have joined us online, it's good to have you as well. Um, and for those who are here, always good to see you in the mornings that I'm here with you as well. And it's, to begin with, I come up here with somewhat of a heavy heart just because it seems like each week we're facing a new tragedy in the U.S. that seems senseless and brutal and violent. And last week as we, our hearts went out to the Asian American community because of what happened in Atlanta, which is just the kind of the epitome of what that community has been facing for many years in the States, our hearts went out to them. And for those who lost loved ones in Boulder, Colorado, we're struck again by just the senselessness of this and the evil that exists in this world and how badly this world needs Jesus, right? And when we talk about him being our living hope, we just, we just sang about it, being our living hope. He's our only hope. And we want more of him and more of him. These are things that we sing because our hearts should be in them as we sing them. So we live in a country that desperately needs Jesus. And this is our final week, actually, of six weeks we've spent on one verse, Micah 6, 8, and the three requirements that God has given us in that verse. What does he require us of us? The verse says, except that we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And we've spent two weeks on each of those. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. Now, I want to say that I believe that I think that's what our church should be, but that's way too weak a statement because it's in the clarity of Scripture that's exactly the church that God wants us to be, one who walks humbly with him, who loves and pursues kindness and that does justice whenever we see the need to apply that justice. So it's a command to us. It's what he wants us to be. Um, we're emphasizing doing justice. This is the last week of six, the second week on doing justice. And as D Pastor Davi said last week, strangely, this is sometimes the hardest thing for the, in the American church to um, talk about. And it shouldn't be. I mean, we desperately want to walk humbly with our God, and we desperately want to be people that pursue kindness and show mercy and we should just as desperately be people who want to do justice as well. I do want to back up a little bit about what Pastor Davi said last week and what we're talking about in the word justice, because justice is like a coin. It has two sides to it. There's retributive justice and there's restorative justice. There's the perpetrator and there is the victim. And justice means punishment for the perpetrator and restoration to the victim. Now, even though that's true, almost entirely every time it's referred to as a duty of those of us who follow God, it's talking about the restorative type justice, that even though justice has two sides to it, our job is to do the restorative side. And why is that? Well, because God is the one who takes care of the retributive side. Now, it's not 100% that way in Scripture. It doesn't mean we address that some of the times as well, but most of the time, it's about restoring. It's when Jesus said, hey, should I take out the wheat and the tares and save the wheat and rip up the tares? He says, no, I'll do that in the end. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? So he's the one that focuses on the retributive justice. 
And Jesus was the ultimate example of that when he began his ministry and he stood in his own synagogue and he was given a scroll to read and it was Isaiah 61 and he said these words referring to himself, saying it was fulfilled in him that day as he read these words, this is what he came to do. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And each of those actions are restorative and not retributive. He's going to free the captive. He's going to bring sight to the blind. He's going to bring good news to the poor. And if anyone, when he came to this earth, had the right to put as much emphasis on the retributive aspects of justice as well as the restorative aspects of justice, it was Jesus. But he said, while I'm here at this time, it's about restoration. I want to make sure that we understand that as we move on. Now, uh, Pastor Davi covered this word uh, and some passages of Scripture dealt with it very well, but I want to dig a little deeper, building on what he brought to us. And I want to dig a little deeper by looking at three particular words uh, that we find in the Old Testament often. Um, and so I'll apologize up front because I will tell you what these words are in Hebrew as well as in English, and I'm sure I'm destroying their correct pronunciation. So if any of you actually speak Yiddish or Hebrew, um, I apologize in advance to how I say these words. But the three words in English are mercy, justice, and righteousness. Mercy, justice, those two we've been talking about because they're specifically in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But I'm also adding the word righteousness because it relates to this to get a greater understanding of what Jesus means and what God means when he tells us to be a people that do, that do justice, okay? So the word for mercy is chesed, chesed, and the word for justice is mishpat, okay? And two separate words, but they're talking about the same thing. In a sense, it's about the same issue because it's about how we treat other people. But mishpat, or justice, is putting the emphasis on the action that we need to take action to bring justice to people's lives, while Chesed, or mercy, is talking about the heart. What our attitude and our heart should be in doing this, not out of duty, but out of a heart filled with mercy. And I think sometimes we could probably put Micah chapter 6, verse 8, into an equation, mathematical equation, sort of, that goes like this. A equals B with C. A equals B with C. Okay? A stands for walking humbly with our God. And basically what he's saying in this verse, if you want to, A, walk humbly with your God, then you do it by B being mishpat or justice, by doing justice, but with C being chesed or mercy with a heart full of mercy. They're all related together. We've treated them as three separate elements and requirements of God because he's listed them out, but they're all joined together to do the work of walking humbly with our God is actually to do mercy with a heart filled with justice. Now, if you're still with me, now I'm going to bring in the word righteousness a little bit. That's a little bit more about mercy and justice. Now, righteousness is the word tzadzika, which I'm sure I'm destroying in the pronunciation, tzadzika, okay? And can you guess what the definition of righteousness means? It means to be right, profound, right? Righteousness means to be right. But 
it's talking about and what it's suggesting is to be right in all your relationships. Not just yourself, but right in all your relationships. In fact, the Holman Bible Dictionary defines righteousness this way. The actions and positive results of a sound relationship within a local community. So the positive results coming from good relationships this way, right? Or between God and a person or his people. So righteousness is social in nature in that it's talking about being right, but not just being right personally, being right in all these relationships and being right in this critical relationships. So it's very social in nature, and we usually think of it as personal righteousness. It's all about me. It's about my morality. It's about my thought life. It's about things like that. But it's really about relationships with God and with others. And how might we also say that? Well, I think we say it by quoting Micah 6.8, that he wants us to walk humbly with our God and to do justice and to love mercy. That's being righteous. Now, if you're still with me, I'm going to take us one step further, okay? Because righteousness and justice, tzadzikah and mishpat, right? Righteousness and justice are used together almost 40 times in the Old Testament, appearing next to each other. Let me give you a couple examples. Psalm 33, 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So it's all many times, not always, but it's many times connected together, justice and righteousness. But if you actually take the understanding of what righteousness is really meaning, right? That it's righteousness in our relationships this way, that it's rightness in our relationship this way, then what we're really talking about is relationship justice. That he wants us to have relationship justice. How many have ever heard that word before, relationship justice? Nah, because I just made it up, right? Nobody uses that term, right? But we do have a term you've heard before that means, in essence, the same thing. Social justice. That's what righteousness and justice mean when they're talking about in the same verse. It's social justice. In fact, you could actually change the words in Psalm 33.5 and get the same meaning. When it says in uh, Psalm 35, he loves righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, you could actually put in the words, he loves social justice, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, because it's talking about the same thing. He loves this kind of relationship justice because his love, and we know that love because this relationship is good, is all over the world, and he wants to make it be shown to everyone. And isn't that what Amos really means? The book of Amos talks about this a lot, and why it's perhaps Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite verse, or at least one of his favorite verses, in Amos 5.24, when it says this, 
But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew poetry, and we've talked about Hebrew poetry before, um, it's not about rhythm and it's not about rhyme. Hebrew poetry is about repetitiveness of what they call parallelism. And so Hebrew poetry is when they repeat a statement in another way with different words, but they mean the same statement. And that's what's happening here in Amos. So when he says, let justice roll down like waters, then he says the same thing by saying, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The two of them mean the same thing. Righteousness and justice are connected together. It's talking about letting social justice Flow, And we should be the people that are setting the pace with that as the people of God because we're going to walk humbly with him and keep that relationship intact. And this should be the evidence of it. Still with me? Some of this may be new. <laughs> but this is what Micah 6.8 is talking about. Let me say that verse for you again. He has told you, a man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Hopefully you're getting the full impact of what that means after these six weeks. And where we have usually treated these requirements as separate things, we have to think about doing justice, and we have to think about loving kindness, and we have to think about actually walking humbly with our God. It could be what he's more likely saying in this verse is as we walk humbly with our God, this is the evidence of it that we will be doing justice and mercy in all the relationships that we have and can do as far as following God on this earth during this time. Now, we've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament between last week and this week, but not all the time in the Old Testament. Pastor Davi actually spent a lot of time uh, in the New Testament last week with Matthew 25. Matthew 25 talking about the final judgment. And if you remember, if you heard it or were here last week, um, Matthew 25 and talking about the final judgment says two groups of people, are, some are going to be sheep and some are going to be goats. It's bad for the goats. It's good for the sheep, right? But then when he describes what makes a person a sheep, it's all about justice, right? It's all about doing he doesn't say, come over here, you, and you're my sheep, you be on my side. And they say, well, what did we do? And he says, well, because you believe that Mary was a virgin and that the Trinity is real and that Jesus died for his sins, all of which are incredibly important. I'm not slating those, but what Jesus says in Matthew 25 is, because when I was naked, you clothed me, and because when I was hungry, you fed me, and because when I was in prison, you visited me. Now, he's not replacing faith with works. He's saying these are the evidences that these people actually did walk humbly by faith with their God and were able to produce these incredible works of mercy for people who needed them most. And for some reason, the church in the West, it seems like but only in the West, um, it sort of separates the two. There's the gospel and there's the social justice and there's personal holiness and then there's social justice over here. It's kind of two different things. In fact, even our political parties are kind of split on that, those two issues and there's nothing in between. Tim Keller wonders out loud if the church in America is more affected by politics than actually the spirit of Jesus. When he gives us these long teachings 
about what justice really is for the church. Whereas a Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest sermon that's ever given, has both. It's not emphasizing one over the other. It's saying it has both. When we think of the Sermon on the Mount, we think of the prohibitions that are there that, for example, even if I look upon a woman wrongly, I've already committed adultery with her. It's not just lust. If I hate a person, I've actually committed murder in God's sight. I'm supposed to love my enemies. That's all about my personal holiness. That's all about my heart and how I'm responding to stimuli on the outside, right, and to other people. But also in the Sermon on the Mount, it says give to the poor. And when you give to the poor, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is giving. Do it privately. Make it between you and God and the poor only. And the golden rule, right, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It has both in there. I want to read to you another passage of Scripture that is probably, I'm going to guess it is the most used parable, most talked about parable of all of Jesus' parables. What parable do you think I'm talking about? You can, if you're watching online, you can type it into the chat. I'll just wait a minute while you do that. What parable do you think is the most referred to parable? Good Samaritan. Somebody already said it. I don't know if it is. Actually, I didn't do the math on this, like how many times it has been preached about and those sort of things. But probably the prodigal son is up there as well. But it's a good Samaritan verse. So let me reread that to you, okay? I know you've heard it many times. But in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, it says this. And now it's in response, by the way, to a scribe who says, who's our neighbor? If we're supposed to love our neighbor, like who's our neighbor? So Jesus says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, when he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the New Testament word for mercy, which comes from Micah 6, 8. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, meaning the scribe, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, I'm not going to go through a, a detailed teaching of this. We've all heard this before, all right? But I think what this does is this Good Samaritan parable, it doesn't allow us to limit how we serve others or what others we serve. It doesn't allow us to actually have the right, if we're going to be God followers and Jesus followers, to determine or limit how we help others or who it is we actually help. It also gives us some answers to most of the objections to people that don't want to get involved in justice issues, okay? Here's some of the excuses that I've heard. Um, well, I don't have enough to spare. I don't have enough to spare. And that may always be a problem. 
okay? And you have to make a judgment call when, in that sort of thing. But I'm not sure the Samaritan had anything to spare. I'm not sure in his budget he had this section over here for any Jews he finds up beaten up on the road. You know, this is the money he uses for that, right? And it really cost him. It cost him time because he spent at least one day at the inn there instead of you know, getting the rest of the way home, and two days of inexpenses that he paid for promising to do more. So I'm not sure that's a good enough excuse. I've heard some people say, well, he, he might deserve it. The reason this person is in this predicament is because bad decisions put him there. Well, that's actually true. Many people are put in their positions because of bad decisions we make. But the Samaritan didn't ask, Right? And since we don't know, then we're supposed to love, according to what the Samaritan parable tells us. But I don't like them or what they stand for. Okay? That's a harsh one. But I know people think this, and people have even said it to me before, right? But why do you think Jesus chose a Jew and a Samaritan for the parable? He's answering this one directly by the characters he chose to tell his story. These were hated people, people who hated each other without knowing each other, right? That prejudice and bias that deeply exists between two groups of people. It's kind of like a doctor and his Hippocratic oath, right? Oh, well, I don't like this guy. I'm not going to treat him. I'm just going to treat that guy over there. You can't say that. As a Jesus follower, we're not given that permission. Yeah, but I'll feed the entitlement appetite. He just thinks that he deserves this if I help him, right? Well, that actually may be true. I'm not saying that these things aren't true. I'm just saying the Samaritan parable tells us that that involves a heart motive that we don't know. And the Sermon on the Mount tells us to be wary of heart motives, and we shouldn't be judging on heart motives. And in fact, if we see someone with a speck in their eye, we should not tell them because we have a log in ours. Oh, but they'll abuse the help. You know, if some you know, bum on a corner and I give him a 20, he's going to go buy booze. Well, that might be true too. I'm not saying these things aren't true and that they don't come up in our mind. But do you ever think if Christ ever thought about that when he was dying on the cross? I mean, he was doing that death for everyone, right? The people who are in front of him who are spitting on him and mocking, come on, if you're the son of God, come on down. Just come on down, let's see you do it. And Jesus said, I don't like those guys. God, don't count them in. This blood ain't for them, just for the people I like. Jesus never said that. Neither does the Samaritan. But pastor, we should emphasize the gospel. We should emphasize the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. You have no qualms with me from there. But it's how we emphasize the gospel. In this story, I don't, they had real spiritual differences, right? Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans believed they had the true way of worship, and Jews believed they had the true way of worship. But this guy didn't talk about anything as far as I know. He just helped the guy. Now, maybe the guy was unconscious the whole time, but I don't know that. I don't think we're given that permission, and some of you probably know St. Francis of Assisi and his famous quote, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, right? That's what the gospel is telling us. Yeah, but pastor, they won't be grateful. Do I even have to address this? <laughs> Comes back to the heart motive, chesed, mercy, 
and compassion that we have on these people. But this man, as far as I know, never thanked the Samaritan, right? Now, some of these objections, I'll say it again, these are not easy to dismiss. But that when the only option is to help or to not help, then this parable helps us know that what our choice is, that we have to help, that we have to respond to needs like this. I think, you know, we all have in mind the perfect person that we want to help, right? We're going to help some guy, some down and out, or some, it's terrible tragedies that hit him and he's had this lifelong addiction. We're going to help him and, you know, our help is going to be that springboard and he's going to pop out of it and he's going to start on the ladder up and he's going to break out of all of this and he's going to meet Jesus and he's going to love Jesus to death and he's going to make a difference in the world and his life is going to be changed and he's going to have, we have this perfect person that doesn't exist in who we want to help. But the Good Samaritan is not given a picture or a vision of what this man would do. The Good Samaritan was just given a person with a need. And he responded to that need. And when you kind of think of that person, just be glad that Christ didn't think of any of these excuses when he looked at my life, when he looked at your life and said, I died for you. I'm doing this for you. So here's my final thought on Justin. Again, justice, and it brings us back to what Pastor Davi was saying last week, and that the biggest reason we should do it is simply because God asks us to, (laughs) right? But he asks us to based on the foundational belief that we have that everyone, no matter good or bad, everyone has the image of God stamped on their forehead that's looking right back at you when you're looking at them. Everyone is in the image. C.S. Lewis says it best. I can't say it better than this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Everyone is in the image of God. And we are never prohibited from helping bad people. So, Micah 6.8, doing justice. Yeah, let's pursue it. Loving kindness, I mean really pursuing mercy and making that object. Walking humbly is our God, crucial to keep this relationship good and straight, right? Now, we spent six weeks on this, and each of the pastors who brought the message in those six weeks, um, they gave uh, some to-dos at the end of their sermon, right? And so a great thing to do would be to go back to all those sermons and just listen to the end part. You can go on our website and check out the sermons. Just listen to all the to-dos and suggested applications and pick a something that fits you, fits you, right? So that you can follow up on some of these things. Today, I'm just going to give you one. Here's the one application to doing justice, Okay. Visit our website, princetonalliance.org slash serve. princetonalliance.org slash serve. Write it down, commit it to memory, whatever it is. And when you go to that website on serve page, 
then you'll look down a little bit and there's a filter box. And when you click on the filter, there's a drop-down menu. And you can get involved in a lot of different things. You can pick any of those. But if you particularly want to care for those in need, help the hurting in the area of justice issues and mercy issues that we do at this church, then in that drop-down box, you actually go for caring for those in need, caring for those in need, and click on that. And you'll see a variety of ways that you can be involved and you can volunteer. If you're looking for something to do that follows through on doing justice of Micah 6-8, that's your one response. You know this is Palm Sunday, right? So Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem in one of the most victorious ceremonies ever. In less than a week, he had sacrificed everything, and he died one of the poorest leaders in history, leaving only his clothes to be divided by the soldiers. All for us. We will be a church that preaches the gospel. We will be a church that preaches the gospel because we want people to know this wonderful Jesus. And we will be a church that believes that this Jesus can transform lives. But we also want to be a true church. We want to be a complete church. We want to be a church that makes a difference in the here and now. We want to be a church that doesn't squirm when Micah 6, 8 is read because we are walking humbly with our God. And we are boldly pursuing mercy and kindness. And we are courageously and continuously doing justice and bringing justice to the poor and to the marginalized. Because one of them was Jesus. And as you do it to the least of these, he said, you have done it unto me. PrincetonAlliance.org slash serve. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for challenges that go beyond us, sometimes beyond our understanding, sometimes it challenges our beliefs, and it always takes us past what we could possibly ever do alone and even together without the Spirit of God. But thank you, Father, that you are with us. And thank you when you give us a directive like we've seen in Micah 6.8. It's always to your people, the one you have the relationship with, the one you'll be with, the one you'll empower, the one you'll give us vision to, the one you'll open opportunities for. Father, we thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for your challenges that you give us. And we thank you for peace whenever it is that we obey when we simply obey and follow you. So, Lord, not only our country, but this is a world. This is a world that needs the gospel, and they need Jesus. And they need to see people who walk humbly, and they need to see people who pursue kindness, and they need to see people who do justice actively and respond to needs as they see them. So, Father, we offer ourselves up. We offer ourselves up for you to lead us in the days forward that we could honor you by everything that we could do. And we would be a church that produces results, that we stand at the end of time because we have believed in the right God and we have believed in Jesus, but we have also fed those who are hungry and we have also 
clothed those who are naked. And we have also visited those who are in prison. And this, Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it in the powerful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.